Welcome to the Coeur Adventist Podcast. Created, produced, and directed by the members of the Coeur Seventh-day Adventist Church. To connect. To grow. To grow. To worship. To reflect Jesus. Let's discover what we can do. Together. 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 Welcome to Interviews, where we take the time to get to know individuals in our faith community a little bit better. My name is Jonathan Wold. I'm substituting for RJ this week. And for this episode, I had the privilege of talking with my friend, Adam Weeks. We start the conversation focused on getting to know him as a person outside of school. We talk about his experience growing up in a ministry family, some of the milestones in his faith journey, what's hard about being a principal, and where he sees God leading next. Let's get to know him a little bit better. Thank you for joining me tonight, Adam. You're welcome. It's good to join you. <laughs> so I'm excited about doing this. This is kind of a unique opportunity. You've been a principal here at Lake City Academy um, for, what, four years now? Four years. It has flown by in, in in very odd ways. Time has a very bizarre way of, wow, that felt like forever ago and yesterday, all at the same time. It's, yes. And from my perspective, like there's there's so much that's happened since in this period of time, so much that's gotten done. And at least from my point of view, I I don't know how you're feeling about it all yet, but it feels like like you're just about at the end of a race. Mm -hmm. You're getting ready to pass on the proverbial baton. Right. I think we're going to have an actual baton. Okay, good. That's, yeah, I think we're going to try to find an actual baton, and Doug is going to come, and it's going to be great. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I, I'm presuming and, and, and hoping that there's a change of pace for you on the other side. That is very much the hope. That is uh, a significant reason for making this life-altering decision. Yes. Good. So my, my hope to, tonight was to take some time to set aside your identity as a principal, Mm. which is how how most of us know you and just talk about you as a, as a person and uh, as a and, and importantly within the context of this podcast like as a child of God mm. so we'll, we'll set aside and you know, thanking you for all that you've you've done for this this church and this community let's so one of the things I'm curious about uh, it's interesting to look back at our childhood and it's hard. Like I, some people remember this a lot better than others. But I'm curious, when when did faith start to become as far as far back as you can remember? When did it start to become something that you were conscious of? Any early memories of of God and your relationship with Him, or who He was, or who He is, and that stands yeah, out you to know, you. My dad um, was the youth director in the Carolina Conference. My earliest memories. Before I do remember when I was two, we moved to the uh, Southern California Conference. My dad was the camp director at Camp Cedar Falls. And I, we were there for a couple of years. I remember that vaguely, a few memories there. There was a bear that I remember feeding chocolate oh, wow. kisses to. Um, his it name was, was the Captain. bear. Okay, so it was a friendly bear. Friendly bear, the, okay. the camp owned a bear. Well, I think like some lady, anyways. Long gotcha. Um, and then, you know, more like as a child, my, a lot of my memories come from living at uh, Camp Nasoka Pines there in okay. South Carolina. And there was 
some very, you know, you, you were around campfires with these older kids. Mm, or mm. I was a little staff brat. I tried not to be too bratty, but I was definitely <laughs> a staff brat. And I was surrounded by weekly worship experiences that these yeah. campers would go through from a young age. And so that was very much a, a part of who I was. And less me being asked what, how I felt and just doing the thing. Um, mm. My dad also did lots of mission trips. Um, I think before the age of 10, I had been to Honduras seven times or something on on mission trips. And that was very impactful going to um, a place called Santa Barbara. Um, and we built an orphanage there. And I remember holding you know, this baby um, I was a little older at that time, but I remember holding this baby that had this extended stomach and thinking, you know, how is this fair? How, how is this fair that this child, this baby could very likely not make it? And I, I get to leave this place and go home and be in a very, very comfortable environment. How and old do so you think you were? What's that? How old do you think you were at the time? I was probably at that point, probably 10 um, on that particular mission trip. Uh, it was a weird thing. So I was in an orphanage. There was uh, kind of the picture of this. Um, there are these metal uh, cribs and I'm pretty sure it was lead-based paint. And there was just row after row after row in a very hot room. And there was uh. probably one of the, like the high school or college girls, she, she was holding this baby. And I was kind of my, my job, I thought, maybe at that time, I was probably maybe like maybe it was eight. Um, I was like going to fan the, f- the flies off. Like, okay, this mm. is what I can mm. do. I can't really do anything for these kids, but there's flies landing on their face. I'm going to shoo the fly off. And so I was doing that. I was shooting flies. And I, this girl, she was holding a, a baby not far from me. And someone called her. Um, out of the room, like, hey, come here. And she kind of looked around and she wasn't ready to put the baby back in. And she said, here, Adam, take the baby. And I had wow. never held a baby before. It was the very first time I ever held a baby. And so I, I hold this baby and I'm by myself. And mm. that's when I had that thought is this baby has like this snot coming out of its nose. Wow. The stomach is extended. Uh, that's a sign of, you know, malnourishment. And how is this fair? And mm. that was very impactful from a young age. Um, and I, I definitely, that, I think that's kind of the first where I truly struggled with faith um, from that, that experience. What, what did you do with that as a child? So you, you had that feeling. Did you, did you talk about it? How did you process it? Yeah, I think um, I, I asked a lot of questions and um, of I don't your parents every, or staff or yeah, probably parents, um, you know, my dad, and I don't know at that time that I ever got a – later on, I, I took ownership of my faith and wrestled with that exact same scenario. But at the time, I I, I think it just came to, um, you know, life's not fair. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a real good way for me to wrestle with it at that time. And I think that was one of the places where I st- – struggled with my faith from an early, early age. So you were born into a ministry family. Yes. And, and it's interesting that you make that distinction of, it was less about talking, like you were just, you were just doing, like you're part of the ministry. My, it was my baptism would be an example. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't know exactly what age I got baptized. I'd have to look back. But again, I was probably, I was pretty young. And we were actually going back to visit that summer camp. And my sister's mm. five years older than me. And there were two of our best friends. And they were both a couple of years, you know, a few years older than I was. And it was kind of like, hey, we're visiting. How cool would this be for us to all get baptized? And I'm the youngest one there. And I don't remember anybody actually asking me, hey, do you want to get baptized? It was like, all right, we're starting classes now. And I did it. And I didn't complain about it. It wasn't something yeah. I didn't want to do. But I was yeah. like, okay, we're getting baptized. This is cool. Um, but I, I, I didn't until later on have that truly moving feeling of, Yes, I want to dedicate my life. Like, do you do you want to love de dedicate your life to Jesus? Yes, yes, I do. I mean, it's just kind of like, of course I do. Like, that's just yeah, of course, you do. It's, it's what you do. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm complacent. I, I want to make people happy, and uh, that was kind of the the start. Was yeah, I'm of course I want to get baptized. Yeah. So, good. so you start. You grow up in a ministry family. You also had the the mission trip experiences. Yes. Was there a time? Was there a time where? Like you didn't have to do ministry and or be involved in the routine. Like, did you did you get a break? Um, so my dad, uh, you know, he he kind of finished the ministry as far as his formal being a youth director at that. We we lived in the Carolinas, and he then took a job helping um, a friend of his in California run a political campaign as for state oh, assemblyman. Wow. And wow. so we flew out. We actually lived with his family for a little while while we were figuring out what we were doing. And this was in the Loma Linda area. And he ran for state assembly. And the idea was that if the, this guy won, that my dad would be part of you know what he was what he was doing on his on the staff. Um, he didn't. Uh, the gentleman didn't uh, didn't win. Was it and close? so like uh, it was close. It was. I remember it was a very big thing for me. I remember staying up late and all the election stuff. It was it was kind of crazy. Um, it was a, such a totally different thing wow. than working at summer camp. How old do you think you were then? Um, that must have been in, I was 11. Cause I think we, yeah, I was probably 92. Yeah. So I was about 11, 11 years old around then. Well, maybe a little earlier. I don't know. It's all, hmm. all one thing. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, it must've been. It sounds like that was after, after some of the mission trip experience though. Yeah. 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 That came in later. So my dad, um, he would do, he began working for this, um, this hospital and he uh, it was a public hospital or a private, private hospital, not a Christian though. And he was a chaplain there. And part of him being chaplain with him agreeing to be chaplain there was that he get to do these mission trips. And on those mission trips was when I went to, uh, Honduras so many times. Okay. Okay. Um, so that came when we were in California and at that time, you know, we, I started attending, uh, Loma Linda Academy. Um, and I went there from like first grade, you know, all the way through, I had a couple of breaks, but you know, that was very much kind of the, the, the Adventist Mecca there. Um, and so I don't know that I, I really had, um, a break. Um, it was just now we, now we go to church. Yep. So it's always interesting, at least in my experience to talk about this, this idea of conversion and like mm -hmm. how and when it happens. And, and while acknowledging that like, first it's a very personal thing and it can be very different for in individuals. Was there, is there anything that stood out to you or stands out to you as like a, a, a point or a milestone where 
a switch flipped? Um, a couple. So um, my parents got divorced in in '92 as well, um, and so I was, uh, you know, fifth grade, fourth grade, fifth, fourth grade, somewhere around there, and um, and that was a uh, obviously pretty traumatic. My, um, as far as divorces go, it was really good. Both my parents, you know, still got along well, but um, they ended up uh, divorcing, and I went to a church and it was actually at the time a, a pretty progressive church. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually called celebration center. You talk about those celebration churches. Like uh, this was the nice. celebration church, the, the celebration. Nice. It was the one, as far as I know, I, I don't know if the, the history of calling churches celebration churches, but the, it was celebration and it had, it had grown, um, out of a church, uh, Azure Hills where Maury Venden had been. And it was mm-hmm. cool. I remember Maury Venden, um, was my pastor. And then we moved out to this after he had, he had left. And then we uh, started attending this celebration center. And that was one of the, for me, where I owned a lot of my desire to go to church. Mm. Um, I remember actually dragging my parents to church. Um, they had one of the best youth programs to this day that I, I, I still know of. Um, wow. Sabbaths, there was, you know, like jungle Sabbath and space Sabbath, safari, just all these kind of things. And they would just went over the top for their kids. And I still look back on those incredibly creative individuals. Um, I was a King's kid at that time. And there was this program, one of these King's kids, and we'd put on these skits, we put on these Bible skits. And so every Sabbath we'd dress up in Bible costume and there was a new script that we would learn. And, um, we would do, uh, these skits for the other kids. And I, I like, I have to go, I have to be there. I had a commitment. Mm. And so I was literally, like I said, drag, dragging my, my family to church. I mean, they wanted to go too, but like, Hey, we're going to do something on the week. And like, no, I can't, like, I have to go to church. Mm. Um, and so I really made it my own, um, a lot and because of the friend group that I had, but I had, I feel like I had a responsibility and I really enjoyed it. And there was just, it was an amazing youth program that they had. When you think about that and, you know, from, from that perspective as a kid, uh, what, what, um, what was impactful to you about it? Like what, uh, what, what, what stood out to you? Cause now as an adult, you can look, you, you have context for what's involved in children's ministry, mm-hmm. et cetera. As a kid, like what, what impressed you about it? Like what, why do you think it, it had such a positive impression on you? There were, there were people that, um, truly lived their faith. It's how I saw it, that they were very creative and that it didn't have to be boring to be a Christian you could have fun and love Jesus at the same time. Um, if I look back a little bit, like I said, we, I grew up fairly conservative. Um, I remember a, I mean, obviously there's paradigms of how conservative, sure. but we were in the yeah. Carolinas and um, it was very much, you know, what I remember is like, you know, you, you can't touch the water on Sabbath. And then as I got older, it's like, okay, well you can, Touch, your, your feet can go in. And then as I got older, it's like, well, you can go to your knees. Yeah, um, and you know, somewhere along in like high school, I don't know when it was, but like, like you could get in, but just don't have fun. Like it, it was this weird, <laughs> it was this yeah. weird thing of, well, what is uh, you know, my relationship to yeah. why we do these things on the Sabbath? Like there was another one where I, I woke up one morning 
not sure where everyone was, but I went to turn on the TV to, you know, watch cartoons and like, wow, these are really good cartoons. Like, I don't, I've never seen any, like, mm. where have these cartoons been all my life? Like, this is amazing. Mm. My sister walks in the room, Adam, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, it's Sabbath. And I literally like looked up to the sky to see if I was going to get struck by lightning. Uh. And so I ran and like, I hit the power off and like, was just like, panicked because in your experience then was was most of that messaging coming from your family or from from the church as a whole or like where you know i I don't know exactly it was kind of just all of it probably my my family would be the most impactful um but that's just not what you did you 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 know that you don't you know it's sad that's not what you and, and it was bad like it was it was a big big deal um so i think it was kind of all of it it was the people i was around it was just everyone around me um, believed in more of that conservative way. So, so you had that, that positive experience and, and that led to, there was, there was a drawing. It sounds like what I'm hearing you describe is this, almost this, this attraction that you felt. There was something about that. you you felt some responsibility. There's so you, you saw these people living out their faith. Yep. What, um, and any other milestones that stand out to you? So, if I go, um, so a, a few of them, I, I kept, um, like in, in school, um, there became different opportunities for ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I love doing skits. And so we would, that, that celebration center, we, we did skits and plays. And so I kind of grew a love for that. Um, but for them, for Christian ministry and kind of a praise team, I was actually my junior year in high school. I was in a class called the witness class witness witnessing oh, class wow. there's like 12 of us and did you sign um, up for that class or was it I signed up for did? it something i definitely wanted to do and uh, why did you want to do it um I, I i it was kind of something new and creative and i at, at that time my junior year and even before that i, I definitely felt some of that being on fire for God. Mm. We went to praise uh, a prayer conference. I remember there was one at Andrews at the beginning of the year. Mm. So we we're at Andrews for a full week out of doing a prayer conference, and we spent a lot of time praying. Um, mm. It was, you know, we we do these different uh, spiritual like retreats at the, at the camp, and actually, I can connect that back to uh, meeting my wife. Mm. So Loma Linda Academy was, you know, we, I was at Lomond Academy and, and we went and did a week of prayer at Sacramento Adventist Academy as part of this witnessing class. And we actually, you know, we did their week of prayer and I was one of the speakers for it. And Katie and I connect our first, con, you know, interaction mm. with that. And then other things that the schools would do, you know, um, cool. uh, leadership, leadership conferences, uh, football tournaments and things like that. And so later on throughout the years, we kept kind of running into each other. But our very first connection was, was when I did that uh, witnessing class. Um, and then I was, I was actually at Loma Linda University. Um, I was the uh, a teen minister. Um, that was something that they had. Uh, Doug Mace had this. He was the youth, youth pastor there. And he had this teen minister program that was we kind of took care of the Sabbath school in a very large Sabbath school. But we, he did a lot of stuff for us. And I was actually asked to be an elder, like a youth elder, but a, but a regular elder of the Loma University Church. Um, but right at that time is when I went to Hawaii as a task force worker. So as soon as I graduated from high school, um, my very next thing is I went to Hawaii as a task force worker, which was also very impactful. Just starting to 
I'd been on mission trips and experienced other cultures by coming and visiting for a brief time. But um, this was kind of living that in Hawaii and um, that was definitely an impactful. But I think if I, when I, you know, still, you know, being a, you know, at that point being a young adult um, and then I came back from Hawaii and I needed to take some classes at a community college. I wasn't sure exactly what I was doing at that point. So I took world religions um, mm. from at the community college and I don't wear this as a badge of honor, but I think it is an interesting thought is the best religion class I had ever was at a community college, hmm. which is a strange thing to think because I went through, you know, obviously, um, you know, a, a good Seventh-day Adventist Christian experience. I had Bible classes all the way through. Um, yeah. I went later, I went to La Sierra and Newbold College in England and I went to PUC and great religion professors. But I still believe that that re world religion class I took um, brought me closer to God than any other religion class. Not because a professor was um, by any way this great person who helped me see Jesus. In fact, mm -hmm. he very clearly said, I am playing the devil's advocate. And he would throw some really difficult things at me. Mm -hmm. There was one time where he brought in this big book just a big old, look like an encyclopedia, because it actually was an encyclopedia. It was an encyclopedia of biblical errancy. And Go Kung, <laughs> like, he brought this thing down wow. and randomly chose a passage. And he said, here and here, um, the Bible, he read it, and the Bible disagrees with itself. What do you do with that? And then he, I was like, and that kind of blew my mind. Wow. And then again, he turned to another one, here and here, the Bible disagrees with itself. What do you do with that? And I had lived in, you know, going to mission trips, being a teen minister, being a king's kid, being, um, you know, in this Adventist, you know, bubble for, for so long. And then I kind of step out for a moment and I needed to take this class at this community college. World Religions was like the one that fit my schedule. And now I am having to really make it my own mm. because, uh, you know, no one is making me go to church at this point. Yeah, I, I do, I'm still living at home and stuff, but I'm an I'm an adult at that point. And if I didn't want to go to church, no one was going to make me. They weren't, you know, in college, you know, they'll take attendance and that kind of thing. But I truly had to make up my mind. Hmm. Am what am I going to do? And so, quick story. Um, after this class, where the Encyclopedia of Biblical Errancy is brought out, um, I am distressed. I, I don't know what to mm. do. There are hills behind my house and I go for a run. And I, that's kind of what my thing, when I'm stressed, I go for a run and I had my dog. It's actually my sister's dog, but we went out and I'm running and running and running. And I'm just tear God, like what is going on? And I finally get up to the top of this hill and I'm just exhausted. And I fall down and I sit and I see my dog still with way more energy than he should have had. I'm just running around and I, and then this thought came to me. And I don't know if it was divine. I don't know where that came from, but I like to believe that it was from God because it helped me immensely. The thought was an odd one, but it, I want to be like my dog hmm. was the thought I had. And where I'm going with this is that I want to be like my dog because my dog loves me unconditionally. Hmm. My dog really can't see the entirety of my life. 
Mm-mm. My backyard, I come home from school or work or whatever I'm doing. My dog is super excited to see me, but no matter how much I try to explain what I just did, my dog's not going to get it. But my dog loves me no matter what. I even take my dog to the vet and it gets a shot. And I'm sure my dog does not like that, but yet my dog still loves me. Mm. I kind of think of God that way is that my brain is not capable of understanding God. Yeah. I, my, I, it's, it's, and it's not that, I um, that. just my, my brain just isn't that big. I, I don't have the perspective, you know, my, my dog, you know, maybe goes for a walk and sees a little bit of my life, but doesn't know my hopes, my dreams, my anger, my hurt, all that kind of stuff. My dog, it's impossible for my dog to see that. And yet my dog still loves me unconditionally. And I go back to that story of waving the flies off the baby and then holding that baby and wondering, how does, how is this possible? How is this okay? How can I live on, you know, if God is all knowing and all present and all these things and, you know, this, this world religions teacher that threw all this stuff at me, you know, the, the, the Bible, it contradicts and all this kind of stuff. And I, my brain is going with this at the end of the day, I want to be like my dog in my relationship to my heavenly father, because when I don't understand something, I recognize that it's impossible for me to truly recognize everything that God is doing and has done. And, and the question I have right now, you know, when I, what's, what's, how come it's taking God so long to return? You know, what is God Mm -hmm. doing in heaven right now? He's atoning for us. Okay. But what's taking so long? Well, the truth is, is that my brain isn't capable at this vantage point of understanding my heavenly father of the creator of the universe. And I've got questions I, and those questions aren't going to go away. Just like my dog is like, where have you been all day? Like, what's going on? Like, I just want my, you know, my dog has those questions. I'm sure of me. I have the same questions of God, but at the end of the day, I want to be like my God, my, my dog and love my God unconditionally. Wow. So that sounds like a that sounds like a pretty significant moment in your faith. Huge. And so so you go from that, life kind of moves on. Let's 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 jump forward now. So yeah. taking that moment, uh, well I guess taking the taking that moment and all that's happened from then till now. Are there any struggles with your faith that stand out to you in between? Anything that anything that like after that moment, because you, you've been wrestling with things, you've been in this, in the context of it being challenged and you find that thing that you can anchor into. Are there any struggles that st- stood out to you after that? Absolutely. Um, you know, things like miracles. Mm. I, I struggle with miracles and mm. I remember a, a pastor, you know, getting up and, you know, talking about, um, you know, he's running late for work and he was in traffic wow. and, and suddenly the, the, like an extra lane opened up and he was able to make it on time to whatever his meeting. And, you know, that was a miracle maybe. Um, but then I go back to my, you know, eight year old self holding that baby that was, you know, you know, uh, having malnourishment like, well, okay, God did a miracle for this pastor. So he could get to his appointment on time. And that baby didn't make it. Hmm. Uh, how is this, is this okay? But then I go back to that hillside 
of watching my dog run around and wanting to be like my dog is like, there's something I'm missing. And I, I, I don't know what it is. I still have questions for God. But when my faith boils down to the very, just the basic, is that Jesus was sent by his father to die on a cross for me. And it was just for me. But Jesus, if, and I know that to be true. Yeah. That is where my faith, the very fundamental of all the other things, all the questions, the the different parts of the Bible that maybe confuse me and I don't know. At the end of the day, Jesus came down and died on the cross for me. Uh, if that is a, a God that would sacrifice his son for me, that's a pretty loving God. In fact, mm. a God far more loving than I am. Yeah. If that is the character of God, then everything else is judged by that. And I must not understand everything else that's going on. And I must not truly have the big picture to, to understand the role of the devil, to understand the role of you know myself and all these different things. And is it possible that that pastor had a miracle that let the, 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 you know, the transportation, you know, let them get there on time? That is possible. Um, but I do struggle with, the same God that would do that miracle, but not that miracle. Cause we definitely prayed for that baby. Um, and that baby didn't make it. So those are the things that, that I, I struggle with, but I, this is my God. My God sent his son to die for my sins as the ultimate sacrifice of, of love for me and for you. And if, and, and that's the God that I serve and I don't understand the other parts of it um, when these different things, I love debating. I love, you know, getting into the nuances and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But at the end, when you boil all of it down, I don't know for certain. And not all of that really matters as much as Jesus died on the cross for me so that he, because he loves me so that we can be together for eternity. Like that's for you for my sins. Like that's what it all boils down to. And everything else is, is, is somewhat, not everything, but a lot of other things are up for debate. I love it. So let's bring, let's bring your identity back around. Mm -hmm. Um, let's put on that proverbial hat again. You, you've been a principal now for just right, right around that four years. What, what's hard about the job? Hmm. Um, it never ends. You can always do it better. You can, there, there's, um, there's always more things to be done. I think is that thing is that, and I, I like finishing a project. I like being done with something and we do finish lots of projects, but there is always something more. The other thing is you have a, if I choose to do this, I'm choosing not to do that. An example would be when I got here, there was two big things that I was asked to do. It was build a new school and go to 12 grades. Yeah. We, we're working on and have done those things in ways that were not what was anticipated. But because of choosing that, I haven't spent as much time solving curriculum problems as I'd like. I'd love to solve math. Like math is broken. 
just which is a sad thing to say, but it's not where I would like to see it here at any school um, that I know of. You know, here at Lake City Academy, um, the you know we have gaps in our math, and we've done a lot of things to make that better. But because I chose, you know, because we chose to say, hey, we're going to build a new school building because that's more important or marketing or, you know, the name change or security. We did this security gate and all the cameras and yeah, all yeah. that. If we every time you make a choice to do one thing, you're choosing not to do another and just recognizing, hey, I'm not going to be in the teacher's classrooms as much as I would like to be because we're building a new school. So and kind of being OK with that. So. It's hard. It's hard. Well, I think I think I'd be hard pressed for anyone to imagine anyone not thinking it's hard. Uh, and what I'm hearing you say, it's it's part of it's the, you know, it, it's never done, and you it can always be better. I, I'd argue that that's perhaps true about a lot of different types of work. Mm-hmm. True. Is there? But yet, there's. It seems to me, at least from an outside perspective, there are some there are some unique things about right. being in the role of a principal. Is there is there anything else that stands yeah. out to you? So it is an amazing thing that people pay money to drop off the most important things to them in their lives, their yeah. children. They drop them off for 180 days in a school year. And say, please raise my child for these eight hours. You know, take care of them as I would. Um, and so that's or better huge, than I would, yeah, or better than I would, please, or better because I'd do it myself if I could, um, or better. Um, and do do all of these things. And so they they pay money to do that, which is which is like, wow, what an incredible step of faith for them. What an honor you have bestowed on me mm. that you trust us to do that. And then on top of that. Um, this is a career or a place where everybody has some type of baggage connected to it because mm. everybody went to school. Um, like I have never been a vet before, you know, I don't really have, you know, I didn't, you know, you know, someone who, you know, that's not something, a context that I have I've never been an engineer, but everybody's been a student and they were a student for a long time. And so they are going to bring in their own ideas of how it should or how it should not go. Um, and so it's a very emotional thing. You also have on top of that people's nuance of what's right and what's wrong. Mm. And, and different people come from different perspectives. We have three incredibly supportive churches uh, that are constituent churches of Lake City Academy. And you have um, a very progressive you have a pretty much middle of the road, and then you have a pretty conservative church. And so you have this constituency of you're, you're trying to also make sure that um, you can never be all things to all people, but you're yeah. trying. Yeah. And that is kind of a different thing, I think, from a school is that everybody's been to school and, and that relationship, obviously, to their kids. It's like you have some of the same challenges, I imagine, of, of, of pastoral ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone's in the church. And then you add in money. You add in money. You add in people sacrificing a lot of money. I mean, you know, for the amount of tuition, um, you know, my car costs like 3500 bucks. Like that's, you know, tuition is quite a bit more than one year of that. Um, you, you know, it, it's people are making choices to send their kid to a Christian school when the alternative is free. 
They could yeah. send their kid to a free school, and the school is probably fairly decent. As if you're if you're judging on terms of would that public school teach my kid reading, writing, and arithmetic? Yeah, probably. Like maybe not as good, but it's it would do a lot of the things academically that that we would do. But people are willing to spend for that. So what it's our job is to as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian school, then how do we create the value? How do we make it worth it? And that's yeah. something that I think about every day. So so it, it's a hard job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's it's hard in ways that that aren't obvious, especially when you're good at the job. What um and and I know I know it wasn't the money that drew you to it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what what drew you to it? Why? Like why why put yourself through that? I didn't get into education because I liked school. I got into education because I felt like I could make it better. Um, I wasn't a good student. Um, I actually so I like I said I went to Lomond Academy starting you know in the kindergarten you know, first grade really. And I did graduate from there for my senior year, but I actually took two years um, off. I went to uh, this uh, this kind of very much an alternative school for about a year and a half until it mm. closed down. Um, it was a really any, cor- a any correlation? Idea. Yeah, like, to your, um, your attendance. Any correlation to your attendance and it closing down? Uh, no, I don't Sorry, think so. that's terrible. It's, yeah, no, I was I was a really bad student. No, I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't a great student. I wasn't that bad. I didn't close the school. Although what Sorry, a cool carry on. Like, yeah, I closed the school down. Um, yeah, no, I didn't do that. I, I cannot uh, can't, cannot brag on that. Um, but uh, I I saw glimpses of what education could be, mm. and um, mm. that's kind of in my nature is something's broken, uh, fix it. And what's frustrating is that our education system is built from the industrial revolution. We needed a place for childcare for about eight hours so people could go to work. Like Mm. it's not a very efficient system. Mm. Um, You know, if you had the most efficient, like the most efficient system for just educating kids would be, would be homeschool. um, If every single parent had the ability to homeschool at that level, had the, had the, you know, financially, someone could stay home. And not only could they stay home, but do they have the skills to actually educate their kids? And, you know, that if you're looking at just, you know, the the best way to put knowledge into a kid's brain, it's a one-on-one environment. But the Investor Revolution came along and um, we needed a, a, a societal way to solve this problem. And so we're still dealing with that. Um, one of the things that I would like to do kind of, you know, after this is really addressing that educationally. Um, that's something that's on my heart. Um, I think we've done a lot of really cool things here at Lake City Academy, but it is still in many ways the product of the industrial revolution and the educational system. Not because people don't want better. They absolutely do. But that's a big ship to turn. And society is very much based on, you know, summer break. I love summer break. What a great thing to have a summer break. But if you're really trying to make kids, you know, help them learn stuff, you wouldn't put in a summer break. Um, That's a huge, uh, you know, two and a half months. You lose a lot of ground with a kid. Um, If you, if you just, eh, we're not going to read. We're not going to do math. We're not going to do, we're not, we're just going to stop learning. We're going to stop learning. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to take a break for two and a half months. 
well, we did that so that we could farm. Well, my, my kids aren't farming. Um, but we are still holding on to this idea of the summer. Do I want to give up summer? Not really. I love summer at the same time. Um, if you're looking at what the goal is uh, of education, that's one of the things that you would look at. Oh, I can't believe you think you're like, well, that you have to make some tough, tough choices. And, Man, and that's something I, that really interesting to me. One thing that's been interesting to me recently has been, I've, I, I, I was listening to, I think I was listening to uh, either a book or a podcast and there's over the past year or so, I think you even shared some, ex, some examples. I've been seeing how, cause I, I, I grew up in the Adventist church myself and there are a lot of things that I thought were unique about my upbringing and like, all right, well, growing up as a fairly conservative, traditional Adventist, uh, we didn't mm -hmm. go to movies. We, right. there are lots of things that you didn't, didn't do on Sabbath. And I was listening to someone the other day and describing a very similar childhood. And then mm. and I looked after, oh, and they weren't Adventist. Right. Like very similar, like didn't go to the movies, like music, like all these things. Like, wow, that's the same. And one of the things that's, that struck me is, and I, I'm, I'm proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm all in, uh, flaws and all. And yeah. one of the things that struck me is like, wow, how often do we just kind of follow along what some of these other churches mm. are doing? Like, did we start that? Like, where did this, like, for, for instance, this idea of not watching movies. Most Adventists yeah. that I know watch movies today, but yeah. and many of us didn't when we were young, for better or for worse. But where did that come from? And and so when I hear you talk about the education system, it's like, how much are we kind of doing the same things that others do when, yeah. What One of the things that's discouraging to me is that I will go to these educational meetings put on by the seventh day of the school system. And I don't want to knock it, but literally in these meetings, we will talk about better ways to educate um, our kids. And we would do these things. So for instance, standards-based grading, the report card that we currently have, the A, B, C, D, F, doesn't make sense. It's a very poor model for yeah. judging a kid's ability and, ju and judging their growth. Um, it, is, it is not an ideal situation teachers end up playing these weird like numbers games and points games, trying to in some way be able to put on paper, what does this kid know or what did they learn or how fast did they do it? It's an antiquated system that we have much better tools in order to, to see where a kid is at. And so we see this I'm like, Hey, this is a bad system. We know how to fix it. And yet, um, We've been, you know, I, I go to these meetings and, and we're still talking about it. So all of these educators agree the report card is a bad system that we have in its current form. We have better ways to do it. There are some middle schools, model schools here and there that are, have great success doing it. But for one reason or another, we can't seem to make it. Now, I've been proud of the Upper Columbia Conference and they are taking steps to do things like the standards-based grading. Cool. I'm really excited. I wish, you know, there's things that I really wish I was staying here for next year. Um, it's called map <laughs> testing. I know it's crazy. Map testing um, does a really great job with standards-based grading um, and being able to help, hey, this is where a kid is and this is where they need to go. Um, and data points that are actually useful. We've used something called the Iowa test, ITBS test. You probably took them little bubble in. We did that this year. Those tests 
are there's very little value as an educator that I've ever been able to have. I've been able to see look at maybe an entire school or look at a student, but um, it gives you some information, but it's always older and not real accurate. And there have been ways to assess students much better than the Iowa test for years and years and years. And it just, for whatever reason, it's a big ship to turn. And um, there are things that we can do to better. So that's why I got into education is because I saw these things like Iowa tests, even back as a student, that's what we took. And I remember thinking as a kid, why are we doing this? It doesn't impact how the teacher teaches. They don't teach any differently depending on how we do on the test because the teacher didn't get the results for you know, eight weeks later, 12 weeks later, and then the results never actually showed the teacher what they should be doing differently with that information. Yeah. So, so, so let's switch gears on, and, and we'll start winding down with this on a, bringing this back to a, like a personal level where, so you, you've had like, you're, you've been immersed in ministry for the past, mm-hmm. like not just four years for this context, yeah. but like for a long time. And you're, yeah, you're, you're wrapping up what you're doing now. So it, less about the details of what you actually do next, but where, where are you, where are you seeing God lead you as an individual? Mm. Like what, what's, what's, what's happening in your, in your, in your, your personal world? Yeah. You know, you say you know, I've definitely you know, been ministry for a long time. I was even a young adults pastor for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I did mission work, I, you know, it's something that has, has been a part of me. And as I've become an adult, you know, stepping out of the shadow of my, my parents and making my religion my own, and, you know, no one was checking to whether or not I went to church, um, you know, and I definitely had an opportunity. There was, I taught for five years at a classical charter school. And so I was, I wasn't um, teaching at Adventist school at that time. And so no one was going to find out or, or ask if I'm, am I going to church? Yeah. Um, but I still did because like you said, kind of warts and all, I am a Seventh-day Adventist and I believe it to be the best possible option for me and for my family, for my kids. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to continue to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, it's it's part of who I am. And where I see myself going hereafter is, is still going to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And I believe that we are called to be leaders and to make a difference wherever we go. Mm. Um, it will be difficult for for me to not help the next community that I'm at. I don't know in what way that'll be. I don't know if I'll be, you know, on the school board or if I don't know if I'll be in education. I don't know if I might be principal again. I, I don't know what that is. Um, but I do know that I I owe a lot to my church. And so there is a there is in many ways a debt to repay. Mm, hmm. I don't do that because there is a debt. I do that because I love my church, warts and all. And the place that we end up landing, I I pray, you know, in many ways, I'd love to land back up here because I love mm. this area. But I don't know what God has in store for us. But I do know that um, when we choose a place to be, um, the church community will be um, part of that decision. And um, yeah, I've definitely been spoiled by this church community because it's just a, a full of amazing, incredible people. And um, I am, I'm going to take that with me wherever I go because I've learned 
I have learned more in these last four years uh, mm. than I ever could have imagined. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining me, taking your time this evening. Thank you for all that that you've invested into both the school and, and this church community. You've been an active member of the, the Coeur d'Alene Church. Mm. And um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you taking the, yeah, this time you, with I've me. I've enjoyed being on the, on the church board. You know, having this principal position has given me a, an interesting kind of uh, automatic pillar of the community, whether I wanted mm. to or not. <laughs> yeah. And it's not something that I took lightly. You, you know, by default of being, you know, this church's, you know, um, school, Lake City County, to being the principal, I was then looked at as, as that, that pillar. And I know I'm not going to have that same platform, um, when, you know, next time where I, where as soon as I'm, I'm done here and going, but, um, it has been a responsibility that I have felt very deeply and, I have benefited from, from tremendously. And so before I go, I just wanted to, I want to thank this community for opening its arms to me. Um, and I pray that uh, the community does the same for, for Doug Zimmerman and his wife, April. Um, lovely people, amazing. And they're going to be coming up here pretty soon. And I have every confidence that this community will, will embrace them just like they embraced me and, and my family. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have to have to have RJ will have to have him on the show sometime. Absolutely. That'd be good. Thank you very much. Special thanks to Adam Weeks for spending some time and letting us get to know him a little better and to Jonathan Wold for the interview. For more information about our church, visit cdaadventist.org.